Hey there, and welcome to Hochma and Coffee this beautiful, beautiful Friday afternoon. It's amazing. We're already in December. Now, today, what we'll be going, doing, going, I guess we'll be doing this is we'll be journeying through Hebrews 12 together and explaining how, what does it mean and why is it there and why does it connect to the rest of Hebrews and the rest of the scriptures? And we'll see in Hebrews 12 a a, a, a juxtaposition, a fancy word for a comparing side by side of Jesus and all the others of faith, and Esau. And you're not going to want to miss out because you want to make sure you are not like Esau. Well, today on the podcast, we have our special guest, as always, my brother Jonah. Jonah, how are you today? Good. How are you doing? Oh, good. I Now, you guys are now entering Christmas break. Is that right? We are. That's yes. going to be nice. can't nice, believe it. Whew, uh, like you guys, if you're a teacher, you understand how much work it is. And there's a lot of prep work, a lot of grading, a lot of those things. And so Christmas breaks are well-deserved. I'm excited for you guys being able to take the next week or two off to spend recuperating and getting ready, I guess, for the next <laughs> semester. But thanks for being on with us today. I think sure. it's time to do our uh, our uh, normal stuff just quickly. We've got a free Hochmann coffee background for those of you who enjoy Hochmann coffee. And if you're just joining us, and you're like, what in the world's Hochmann? That's a weird word. It's the Hebrew word for wisdom. And it's our goal on this podcast every Friday just to give out a daily dose of wisdom that we can use in our life. And so that's there for you. We also have our new mug club. This is actually the old mug now, but we've got it over here. We've got, oh, that's the backside. We've got this for those who are interested, maybe a good Christmas gift for yourself or for someone you know that enjoys it. But we've also got, I don't think, here it is, right over here. We've got this special one just for the month of December. We might bring it back in a few months, but you can get that right now. We've got only a few days left while well, that's going to be around. Also, a huge thank you to our supporters. We've got Judy Murphy, Gary Pence, Maggie Diaz, Kathy Earnhardt, and Cindy Erickson. Just want to say a huge thank you to them. And we've got something special coming up soon. I'm just going to leave that up there for a second. Not going to talk too much about it, but we've got everything Church Pro University opening up very soon, and you're not going to want to miss out on that. Okay, so with those things out of the way, are you ready to dive into Hebrews 12? Let's do this. Oh, man. All right. So this, this is intense. This is a, a, delicious, a delicious chapter, but there's so much. So much here. And so I think we'll begin with just verses one through three, and then we'll continue through the rest as we journey through today. Okay, so let's look at verses one through three. It says this, wherefore, so that's a key word, wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience, with that endurance, the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Okay, so as we jump into this section, wow, there's so much going on, but I want to take a step back and I want us to remember where we are coming from. And so Hebrews is all about Jesus is better. And so Jewish, these were Jewish believers, don't go back. If you if you believe in Jesus, don't go back. And so he's we've already seen especially in Hebrews 11, the culmination is faith. Although you might not experience all the goodness right now, you might be in persecution, you might be in hardship, your family might have disowned you. You're supposed to, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So we're supposed to look forward to what God has. And he gave example after example after example of people who are looking forward to what God had for them, the promise, Abraham being one. We had, uh, 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 who else do we have? We had Noah, we had uh, Samson even was towards the end, but we've got a bunch of people who are looking towards the blessing that was to come. And because of faith, 
it made it real in the present. All right, so that's what we're looking at. And as we jump into chapter 12, we are building off and kind of climaxing his argument about faith. And so Jonah, what observation do you have as we jump into verses one through three? Yeah, I I think, uh, as you mentioned, all of chapter 11 is mentioning so many Jewish people Mm. that every Jew would be like, he's, they're patriarchs, obviously not every single one, but I guess in a sense, they all could be since they all came before. Um, But I mean, there's the Abraham, there's the Noah's, Mm. there's the Moses's. And so all these Jewish people, even some of the judges that the penman talks about, man, they're like, you can be part of this. You can be having, you can have that same faith and God would view you the same way by that faith. And it's impossible to please God without that faith. And then after all that, there we are in chapter 12, verse one, we're uh, compassed about with such a great cloud of witnesses that we just mentioned. And then verse two, if all of those people were not enough, if those guys didn't impress you, if you don't have any kind of desire to be like them, Again, it, it's almost a catch-22. He mentions Jesus, but again, we have to remember he's been talking about how Jesus is better all this entire book yeah. up to this point. So he's he's laid the foundation of, okay, I've already told you that Jesus is better than anything. I've mentioned Moses. I've mentioned Abraham. That's all great if we want to follow their example. But who should we really be looking at? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And so I, I like that. you said, climaxing. Yeah. And I think, you know, sometimes we can get distracted in Hebrews 11. And I think this is an unfortunate chapter divide. I wish they would have moved it until like verse four, because this, I think this belongs in 11. It's all moving to Jesus. And it feels like it ends with all the others. And then it's like cuts off. And now let's look at Jesus. But really, the whole movement of chapter 11 was building to the ultimate demonstrator of faith, who is the author and the finisher, the leader, the author, the beginner of our faith, and the completer, the one who's going to make it all perfect. And so it says, we are, we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. And there's some questions that we're not going to answer today, but I'll bring it up. And if you want us to, to wrestle with it later, you can, you can ask us later, but Two people in heaven, are they witnessing us now or is this something else? We could talk about that another time. But I think what some people get distracted by is the people up in heaven. And especially when it comes to Catholicism, they make icons of these faithful people and they almost revere them if they do not actually revere them. And they even will pray to them with the argument that, hey, well, if my friend can pray for me, well, then so can these dead people who are up in heaven already. But friend, friend, the, the whole purpose of, of chapter 11 and 12 is not to get you to focus on these people and worship and pray to them that they might pray to Jesus for you. The whole thing is looking unto Jesus. Like, like you're supposed to see them and realize you can be like them by faith, but you're not supposed to look to them per se as, as the perfecter of your faith or as the one who's going to get you closer to Jesus. You're supposed to look to Jesus. And that is what will get us through. I love this. It's, it's yes, we see that we are compassed. We, we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. That should encourage us to lay aside weights and lay aside sin, right? And to run continually as, as they did as well. But we don't do it by looking unto them. Like that's, that's the thing is we're not staring at Moses and saying, all right, Moses, thank you. Thank you for being faithful. And Abraham, thank you for being faithful. I'm staring at you as I run my race. We're supposed to recognize they're around us watching or or around us with their lives as testimonies. But the person we're supposed to stay focused on and stay in communion with isn't Moses or Abraham. It's Jesus and his life and his life continuing is what is is what gives us joy, and I love it right here. His example, like their examples, were pretty awesome. I, I have to say, as I looked at Abraham's story, as I looked at Sarah's story, and Isaac, and and all the others, as we went down through the the Hall of Faith, their stories are inspiring. But there's none as inspiring as Jesus, and I think we talked about at the beginning of today, also in our last podcast about faith. And how faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's that looking to the, to the what's promised and it's becoming real in the moment because of faith. And we see here with Jesus, it says, who for the joy that was set before him, the hope ahead of him, he endured the cross, despising the shame 
and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And then he says this, for consider him, to contemplate him, that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. This is a really intriguing verse. I want your thoughts on this before we move on, John, and then I'll give my two cents. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. What are some little nuggets that stick out of here uh, as we kind of wrap up this section talking about Jesus? What do you think about that verse? So I almost see the correlation of how what all started before chapter 11 as well. Let me actually go back. Chapter 10. Yeah. um, It says, verse 32, but call to remembrance the former days in which after ye were illuminated, ye endured a great fight of afflictions, Mm. partly whilst ye were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly whilst ye became companions of them that were so used. For ye had compassion of me in my bonds and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that ye have in a heaven a better and enduring substance. And so as I'm remembering right before he gets into the hall of faith, he's explaining, you guys are, you you guys are suffering uh, some persecution and afflictions, but you can look to Jesus who endured not just what you're enduring, but so much more, so much more endured the cross none of us have endured the cross and none of them were crucified like him uh, despising the shame and is um where's the contradiction in verse three for consider such contradiction of sinners against themselves and so i i can just see in my mind christ being spat upon Mm. his beard being plucked out um just been being mocked he endured so much uh, consider him. You have to consider him lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Yeah, I think that's spot on. Jesus endured more than any of us will ever endure. And he endured the contradiction of sinners. He, en- he endured sinful people contradicting him or going against him and wounding him and hurting him. And, 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 and I think that these Hebrew Christians would be thinking, well, if Jesus is king, why, why would he let these sinful people hurt us? And why would he let these sinful people, you know, do all this stuff? And he says, guys, guys, don't give up. Okay. This isn't saying Jesus isn't strong enough. Think about Jesus himself. He, in his greatest act of triumph, endured more of of sinful men's hate than anybody else who will ever live. And by considering him enduring that, it's supposed to help us not be wearied and faint in our minds. And so don't go back. Don't go back. And I think we need to keep saying this. And I'm going to say it to all who are listening or who will watch this later on in the future. Don't go back. Don't leave Jesus. There's a fad right now, people leaving uh, uh, Christianity and going to other religions, Judaism, even to Catholicism, even, which I, I am, we're going to talk about that in another video, I'm guessing. But friends, I'm going to encourage you stick and stay with Jesus. Just stick and stay with him because there's no other place to go. He is the best. He is better than anything else. And this was supposed to encourage them. Stay with him. Stay with him. So let's transition. This is really a big transition verse here in verse four, which is weird. You and I talked about this yesterday, and it was it was really, I think, a weird way of saying something. And so it yeah. took us quite a while to wrestle through this. But it says, ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. What's your, what's your take on this? Why is this the transition uh, from what we just read into what we're about to read? Yeah, the more we read it over and over, the more it seems to actually be getting clearer and clearer in my mind. Um, I mean, verse 2 just talked about how Christ endured the cross. Right. And so he, uh, well, he, he, he endured afflictions all the way until he shed his blood and died. And he's the spinman saying, you haven't resisted unto blood. You haven't been persecuted that much to where your race is done. And so, yeah, you still have that strife, like that contradiction of sinners, as verse three was saying with Jesus, uh, but you haven't resisted that far. And so you can keep on going as we continue through verse five and on. But I believe that's what... It's saying after we we read up a little bit on what that was meaning. And yeah, I agree. It could be worse. It could be worse. That's what I believe it's saying. 
Yeah, you haven't gotten the whole way yet. And, and Unto Blood, I think, is like the shedding of their own blood, death, martyrdom. He's like, guys, you have gone through, like you said in chapter 10, a lot of hardship for Jesus, but you haven't gone all the way yet. And we've already seen in chapter 11, a lot of people who did go all the way. They they gave yeah. their life. They were sawn asunder. And he said the world wasn't worthy of them. He says, guys, I know you've been through a lot. You haven't gone all the way. Jesus went all the way. You haven't got there yet, striving against sin. And I believe this sin is, uh, we were talking about it yesterday, both internal and external. Sin inside, you haven't resisted all the way, striving against your own sin, but also against sinful men or sin in the world, sin that's out there. You haven't gone all the way yet, striving against uh, Satan and sins working in our world. And then it transitions into uh, verse 5, which is really a quote from Proverbs. He says, You have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as children. And here's the quotation. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. And so we're going to dive into a big section of, of chastening. And uh, yesterday, I used to take this passage a lot as just like uh, spiritual spankings, right? That's kind of the way I envisioned it. That's the way I taught it was this chastisement was just God. When you did something wrong, you'd come uh, alongside you with something to correct you for that sin. And it was viewed in the same way as we would view parents spanking a child for a sin or something like that. That's kind of how I view chastisement. But Jonah, you yesterday, you were looking at the definition and you opened my eyes to see that it's not just dealing with, with punishment per se. It's dealing with something even broader. And so, so open our eyes to chastisement and then we'll read through this section. Yeah. In verse six, it's all the same root word whenever we see chasten or chastisement throughout these several verses. But in verse six, the definition, according to Strong's and even Thayer's Greek lexicon, it literally means to train up a child or to educate. Uh, obviously, there is a connotation of punishment or uh, chastening, as we would think, instruct or teach. Uh, and so uh, you even brought up today, and you have it right on the screen, which is pretty cool. In Second Timothy 3.16, that same word is used all scriptures given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction. Yeah. That's the same word, that chastening, which in righteousness. So it's the same word. So weird. Uh, pretty cool. Same with this one in Ephesians. Yeah. You know, and ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the, and it's a weird, it's translated nurture and yeah. admonition of the Lord. That's so crazy to me that this there's such this, I guess, a broader uh, realm of what this word meant. And I think that's important for us to understand as we dive into this chastening section, uh, because if we think it's just because we did something wrong, the, the later arguments don't quite fit. And so I do think this is God, yes, chastening when we do wrong, but also just maturing us through allowing persecution, through allowing hard time, kind of, what is it, James, that, we, that mm. talks about uh, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, uh, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience and let patience have a perfect work that you may be perfect and entire wanting nothing. I think that's what this is doing is he's saying, yes, there are times when you do wrong and God chastens. But there's also because God's our father, he is bringing us up in the nurture and admonition. He is uh, what was the other one? Instructing us. He is shaping us. And he uses things that aren't comfortable. They're not fun. And so let's read through this and then we can talk about it a little bit more. It says in verse number, let's look at verse number seven, because I think we've read already uh, five and six. It says, if ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, ye are, or then are ye bastards or illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Okay, so now we're just going to look at this for a second, and we're going to see 
some of the nuances of this passage. I don't think we'll spend a lot of time on here. I think this is pretty self-explanatory once we uh, talked about the word and the definition, but let's just hit some of the highlights. He says, you know, basically don't despise when God brings a hard time into your life. Um, and it's, and we're supposed to recognize it's a chastening, not necessarily because you did something wrong, although sometimes it is, but when hard times come, we're supposed to recognize God's using this because he loves us and he does this to grow us. Let me see where that is. It says, furthermore, blah, 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 that, and we give them reverence, shall we not? Uh, because they did it after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. God's whole purpose in allowing these hard times into our life is to profit us, which is so crazy. It's to grow us and to make us better. Now, Jonah, let's let's uh, talk as dads uh, about this, this verse. Uh, we've been sons, we're still our sons, but we've also now our dads. And it says, for they verily uh, for a few days chasing us after their own pleasure. And that's a weird way to phrase it, but I, I, I get it from both sides and maybe you do as well. I, I don't think either of us or any good parent chastens their kid just for like, yeah, I, I'm excited. This is great. But I think what he's getting at here is we have a desire for our kids and sometimes it's selfish. Sometimes. It's like, I want my kid to represent me well. I, want, I don't want to look dumb or they're bothering me because they're acting so foolishly or childishly and I don't want to hear this anymore. And so chastening happens sometimes, I think right here, is after our own pleasure. I don't think it's intentional. I think looking back, we see, wow, that was kind of this or that. But the thing with God is it's never that. It's always perfectly for our profit. What do you what do you think about this section having been on both sides? Yeah. Um I I I agree. Uh obviously I that's one of the worst things about being a parent. Mm. Um it's the hardest thing I should probably um correcting. Yeah. Uh but Obviously, I love it where I'm kind of going off topic a little bit. I can't see what verse it's in for whom the Lord loveth. He, oh, right, right. It's yeah. Under, yeah. And so it's not necessarily I enjoy it, but I know it's necessary to help them become uh, what the Bible intends for them and God intends for them uh, to be. And so, yeah, even though it's not fun, but like you said, I guess you're annoying me. So go to your room. Well, yeah. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, he's in quiet. I don't <laughs> think I've ever done that yet, but I'm sure it's bound to happen. But for that example, yeah, hallelujah. They're being punished just because they're being kids, but God never does that. Right. If he's going to cause something to come into our life, it's not because we are annoying him. No, this is for your profit. I'm only looking out for your good. Yeah. So, and, and I, I'm telling you, there've been times where I've, I have four boys, if you don't know this, and there have been times where I don't know what just happened. Something went down. I don't know, but I'm not dealing with it right now. And so I'm like, you go to your room, you go to your room. And, and his, that kid might not have done the thing that was wrong, but he was chasing because I didn't want to deal with the whole situation right now. Maybe I was busy doing something for church, or maybe I was busy doing something else for the family. And I didn't have time personally. Like I didn't want to spend time do, figuring out what needed to be done. So I just say, Hey, go to your room. And so this kid was chasing, not for his profit, but it was because I didn't want to spend time right then dealing with the thing. And so I think that's what he's getting at is sometimes your parents, they chasing you, they said something or they didn't quite do it in the right way. Maybe they thought they were doing it the right way. Like you thought this kid did it, but it wasn't this kid. It was actually that little stinker over there. And this guy was, was punished. Sometimes parents get it wrong, but he never, ever gets it wrong. And so I think that's the big picture of that. Would you say? I think that's yeah. what he's trying to get at is it's not fun. It's not fun, but we can, we can trust God knowing it's exactly what we need every yeah. single time. That's what the very next verse says. No chastening yeah. for the present seemeth to be joyous, Ooh, no. uh, but grievous. And so... And friend, if you're if you're a Christian watching this, you can say you know what we're talking about. You've you've been through the chasing of the Lord, and you know it's not fun. You know when He's putting you, stretching you, and growing you, and sometimes even yes, correcting with with chastening. You know it's not fun, 
And you know, there are times even where you begin to doubt, like, is this really for my good and all these things? Because it, it hurts. It's not joyous. It's grievous. But he says, nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth peaceable fruit of righteousness. And so, friend, I think if you're going through a hard time right now and you're tempted to leave Jesus because of the trial you're in, may this be a reframe and may we realize God's using this to grow me. God's using this to make me better and to work in me the peaceable, that's a cool word, peaceable fruit of righteousness. That is his goal in us. We will be better on the other side. And these people had gone through so much, even maybe more than us in our lives here. They had been disowned by their family, disowned by their community. And, and now they are on the outside of a religion that had been literally for, for thousands of years been practiced by their forefathers. And they're now on the outside with a lot of persecution ramping up. And this is what he's trying to tell them. Guys, it's not easy. It's not. Your family doesn't want to see you anymore. They don't want to talk to you anymore. It's not easy, but realize God will use this hard time to make you into who you are meant to be. And I think verse 12 is key. Verse 12 is key. He says, wherefore, wherefore lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet, lest that, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but rather let it be healed. He says, guys, when hardships come, when hard times come and God is correcting you, or God is instructing you, or God is shaping you, it's going to be tough. And so you need to, as a local church, encourage each other. Like it's a necessary thing. And this is why I get very frustrated with people who say, you know, we don't need to go to church. You know, I, I have God by myself. I just go out into the woods or onto my yacht. And I just have a good time with God by myself. Friend, when you are just by yourself, you can't do this for others and you can't have this done for you. Every believer will get to a place where they need to be lifted up because of hard times. And all believers should be lifting others up who are having hard times. And the reason is, lest they be turned out of the way. Basically, lest somebody that you know leaves Jesus and goes back and turned away from him. Instead of this hard time turning them away from Jesus, it, it should be that you are there so that they can be restored and healed. What would you want to add to this section here? Oh, I think that uh, sums it up pretty, pretty good. Like you said, it's pretty straightforward, but there are some nice practical nuggets in there. Yeah. And I think, I think we've probably have known somebody who was discouraged and people didn't come around to encourage them and they were turned out of the way. They're no longer in church. They were kind of like, oh, they'll get over it. They'll get through it. But people didn't gather around them. And that that turned into what we're going to see in this next section. It turned into bitterness and it turned into yeah. hurt and profanity where they're godless now. And so let's jump into this. It says, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord looking diligently. And here we have three lests looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator, or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For ye know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. So let's jump into this section here. We've just seen that we as a church, a local assembly, should encourage those who are going through a difficult season of their life, uh, whether it's uh, I, we, I mean, we can all look at around at our church. I hope that when you get to church, friends, if you're watching this, that you are intentionally looking for others and how you might be a blessing to others. Too many in America and maybe around the world, they come to church for me, for themselves. They come and their minds are on their own problems, on their own struggles, on what can the preacher do for me? What can the worship do for me? No, 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 no. There, the blessing will come to you. I promise you the preaching will bless you. The singing will bless you, but you should come there looking. Maybe God will use you to lift up somebody else. And not only should we lift up somebody else, but we're supposed to follow peace with all men and holiness. Because if we don't have this, we can't see the Lord. We can't see the Lord. And we were looking at this yesterday in, in a Greek diagram. This right here is a participle, but it's like a, what did we, what was the word again? It was a circumstantial, something like that. Mm -hmm. It was some yeah. kind of participle that showed what we're supposed to be doing as we follow. 
what we're supposed to be doing as we follow. So we're supposed to follow peace with all men in holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. And as we're following, we're supposed to be looking diligently. Now, Jonah, you, you kind of helped me see this a little bit earlier about looking diligently, but what's your thoughts on what we should be looking at or who we should be looking at? Yeah. Uh, before I touch on that, yeah, this for sure. is, totally just came to mind and I'm not sure if, uh, the penman was thinking of the Sermon on the Mount, but verse 14, follow peace with all men. So follow peace and holiness. When we looked at the diagram, uh, follow peace and holiness. So, uh, both those objects were coming after the follow, uh, without which no man should see the Lord. Isn't there a beatitude in the Sermon on the Mount where God or Jesus said, uh, blessed are the pure in heart mm -hmm. for they shall see God. I mean, that's pretty much what it's saying. Follow peace. Yeah. But follow holiness. If yeah. you're not holy, you're not. And so hmm, uh, interesting there. Um, but looking diligently. Now, I'm not 100% sure if this is what it's referring to. But obviously, as we said, it's a circumstantial participle describing uh, the clause or the follow peace with all men and holiness. Um, I just started asking myself, well, looking at what? Looking for what? Are we looking for the blessed hope? Are we looking to something or someone? Uh, but then obviously, as I just saying things out loud, a possibility that we've already seen that we are supposed to be looking to something in this very chapter. At the very beginning of this chapter, it says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Right. And so uh, it's a possibility that as we're following peace and holiness, we ought to be looking unto Jesus throughout all of this. That's the that's circumstance. You know, that's the foundation. And I love it because it connects to verse 14, without which no man shall see the Lord. The goal is to keep looking at the Lord and seeing the Lord. And we do that while we follow peace and holiness. It's like this, it's like the circle. We, we uh, look at Jesus so that we follow peace and holiness. And since we're holy, we see the Lord. And since we're looking at the Jesus, it's kind of like a, a circle that keeps going on. But if we don't do this, if we don't look diligently to Jesus, we can basically, it looks like slip. We can we can get our focus on the wrong things because it says we're supposed to look diligently lest, that's that's a warning, lest any man fail of the grace of God. And this word for fail is the same one in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fail the glory of God, come short of the glory of God. And so it says we can, we can miss it. We can come short of the grace of God. And it says, so we were looking at this because we were confused. How does this all work together? These two lests are linked to this one. So it says, we are supposed to look diligently lest any man fail of the grace of God. And if you fail of the grace of God, if you come short of the grace of God, these two things are bound to happen. Number one, you'll get bitter. The root of bitterness springs up and troubles you and defiles many, which is ugh, not good. If you've ever been around a bitter person, it affects not just them, it affects many others. Bitterness spreads like a disease. And that happens if we don't look diligently and we fail of the grace of God. The next thing is this, you can become a fornicator and a profane person like Esau. When you fail of the grace of God, you become very fleshly oriented, which we'll see in a second, and godless. You don't, you don't respect God. That's what it means to be profane. And so this is, we, we might talk about it later. We might not. Is this someone who's saved or not saved? I'm not sure right now. We can, that'd be a big discussion. It seems like this is talking about just off the top of my head, uh, a, what are we talking about in chapter 10? What do we call them? A, uh, apostates. A, an apostate, somebody who looks saved, but's not. They're missing the grace of God because they don't have true faith. And we'll see why they don't have true faith as we move forward. Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. And he says, for you know how afterward, he, when he would have uh, inherited the blessing, he was rejected, and he, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. And so we have here Esau, who does the opposite of faith. Esau is the inverse of Jesus and all those in the hall of faith. Because if we look at those in the hall of faith, they had faith of the hope. They, were, they put off now for the future. I mean, Moses, what did it say about Moses? It said that uh, he refused something pleasures of a, for a season yeah and refused to be called the son of pharaoh's daughter uh thinking it was better to be you know counted yes, by faith moses when he was come to fair uh come to years refused to be called the son of pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of god 
than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. The hope, the hope, right? The reward, the recompense of the reward is the hope. And, and literally Moses seems like an inverse. I think we could take all of those in the hall of faith oh, yeah. and they are an inverse of Esau. Esau is the upside down of faith. He is the lack of faith. Moses said, I don't care about the pleasures of now. I, w- I will willingly be reproached and suffer persecution with the people of God because I know a better day's coming. And, and yet Esau, he's the opposite. God had the birthright on him like, at the beginning. He had this beautiful spiritual blessing. And yet he says, I don't care. That's too far away from me. That's too far in the future. I want what I need now. And so he sold the future blessing so that he can have current comfort, current comfort. This is the opposite of faith. This is carnality, and it leads to bitterness, and we see that with Esau. We see fornication and profanity, godless. They don't care about God anymore. And so we have a choice to make, and that's kind of the, the, the thumbnail, is are we going to be like Esau or are we going to be like Jesus? Jesus, he put off current comfort for the, the joy that was set before him. And that's the whole encouragement of Hebrews is, guys, stay with Jesus even though it's hard because there's a better day coming. There's that city which hath foundations whose builder and maker is God. Or are you going to be like Esau? Esau said, I don't really care about the future joys and the future rewards. I care about what's happening today. And this is why many people leave Christianity. It's, it's one of the, if not the biggest reason, is a hard time comes, something difficult happens in their life, and they, they can't really see afar off, as it says in 2 Peter. They're blinded, they're, they can't see afar off, and they just think about what will make the pain stop now. What will make me happy now? If I need to get a divorce because it will make me happy now, I'm going to leave my partner. And we see this even in Christian homes. It, we see it in Christian homes. People say, you know, well, I'm just not happy in this relationship and God wants me to be happy. And so I don't care what God wants me to do according to the word. I'm just going to cut it off because I need comfort now. I understand when there's abuse and things like that, when there's times when you need to separate. Trust me, I understand. But I'm talking about people who, who have lost sight of the future reward and only care about the present. Have you seen that, Jonah, where people, they leave the faith because it's not about what they are going to inherit. It's about right now. Yeah. Um, I even, as I read about Esau, yeah. Uh, oh, there was a, a preacher. Uh, I think it was uh, Dr. Jim Shetler. Mm. He said once, and this is what I see here. Uh, rebellion is literally believing a lie. Yeah. And so that's almost what I see Esau doing. I, it's almost as if his mindset was, I don't care about the spiritual blessing because it's, I believe that I, I won't even be able to experience this blessing because I'm going to die right now. Yeah. I'm so hungry. I'm going to die. So what is that good? Yeah. He was believing that lie and will believe a lie of, I'm not going to make this. It doesn't really even matter if I do what I'm going to want to do because whatever. And so we do a lot of dumb things because we rebel against what God would have us do because we're believing a lie. And so what's the point? Yeah. What's, the, what's, the, what's the point of doing this? It's not even going to matter in the long run. And so dangerous. It's very dangerous. And this is one reason why we need to be careful who we listen to. There are a lot of prosperity preachers out there who promise blessing right now, that you'll be successful right now, that life will be easy right now if you're right with God. That's a lie. And, and I think Hebrews tries to show that's not true. And when we get so focused on the here and now and we expect blessing, this is when people get upset with God and they leave the church because he's not doing what they want him to do right now. And so, friend, please, 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 please have faith. Faith is, is seeing what he has in the future and enduring hardship now like Jesus, like all of those we talked about, Moses and Abraham and all those others, enduring hardness now because we know there's a hope. We know what's coming. Esau, on the other hand, he didn't see the hope. He had it in his hand, but he gave it away. He gave it away. And so, friends, are you Esau or are you like Jesus? Are you like Esau or are you like Jesus? And we're going to see that there are intense consequences for choosing one way or the other. And this is where we'll wrap it up here. It says, for ye are not come to the mount which might be touched. And this is Sinai. And if you remember the story in your mind, uh, God had them set up a, a barrier around it. 
right? And he's like, don't come to it. Don't do it. Because if you touch it, you will die. And he even sends Moses down after they'd already set up the fence. He says, you get down there lest they touch the mountain and die. And he's like, wait, God, I already put a fence. He's like, don't talk to me anymore. Get down there. And as he gets down there, this is when God gives the Ten Commandments. And I believe based on Hebrews that the children of Israel heard the Ten Commandments from God. Look at verse 19. It says, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. So here it's showing that when Moses got down and God started giving the Ten Commandments, they heard the Ten Commandments from God's mouth and they said, no way. Moses, don't let God speak to us anymore. You speak, you speak to us because we're going to die if he talks to us. And so it says in verse 20, for they could not endure. This is the opposite. They didn't endure uh, that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. That's interesting that he says, Moses said, I'm terrified looking at the things happening on Mount Sinai. He says, we aren't come to that mountain. We are come unto Mount Zion or Sion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven and to God, the judge of all and to the spirits of just men made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant or the new covenant and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. And then here's, here's the, here's the, uh, the challenge. See that ye refuse not him that speaketh. Please don't refuse him that speaketh. For if they escape not, who refused him that spake on earth, how or, or much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven? So let's stop here. We're going to build on the voice in a second. But this is the culmination. He says, we haven't come to Sinai. We've come to a better mountain, Mount Zion. And so we shouldn't refuse him that speaketh. Because if they didn't listen to God and they had that intense, uh, what do you call it? Intense consequence. How much more shall we not escape a consequence if we refuse this new covenant, this Jesus who's speaking from heaven? Uh, so what, what do you want to talk about this, Jonah, here before we continue moving forward? So just be uh, very transparent. This is uh, one of the parts of this chapter. There's a couple parts where obviously could it's up in the air in my mind of how uh, I've seen it. But here, another one, uh, we talked about God speaking uh, yeah. at Mount Sinai, and they're saying, hey, do not have him speak to us anymore. Yeah. And then he's saying that was at that mount. Now you come to Mount Sinai, and really verses 22, 23, 24 is everything that we are coming to. Not just mm -hmm. a mount. I mean, it's just a list. You're coming to oh, yeah. Zion and to uh, an innumerable company of angels, to a general assembly, to God, the judge, to spirits, and to Jesus, and to the blood of spring. Man, lots of things. Um, and so uh, see that ye refuse not him. It's almost now as I'm rereading it. They said, don't let him speak. They're refusing. Just because they didn't want, they, they pretty much plugged their ears and like, we don't want to listen. Yeah. Uh, just because they still couldn't escape. The Ten Commandments, the law was still given. They couldn't escape. How are we going to escape? Just because we are going to run mm. away or we try to get away from him. We're still responsible for it. Uh, you see that you refuse him not. For if mm. they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, how much more shall not we escape? If we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, we're still responsible whether That's or not huge. we want him to speak or not. That's huge. I, I have never seen it that way. You just opened my my eyes. I think you're onto it. I think you're onto it. That's a that's a beautiful way of saying it. So the first covenant was intense. It was intense. And although they couldn't endure it and they did not want to hear it, they couldn't escape the weight of what was said. It was still laid upon their shoulders. And then the same thing for us, we're coming to this beautiful place, much better than that one, yet we can't escape if we turn away from him, a speaker from heaven. So it's, it's again saying, don't go back because you still are responsible to Jesus. And, and, and it brings to mind those YouTube videos that I've been seeing about people deconverting or going to Judaism or going somewhere else. Just because you leave Christianity, let's just say that, and go to another faith, you can't escape the truth. Like, 
You can't say, well, I don't believe it's true. And so it's not true for me. Well, friend, if it's true, it's true for you, whether you accept it or not. And I think that's, I think that's a beautiful way to say this. They couldn't get away from what God said, though they wanted to plug their ears. And we can't get away from the truth of Jesus and that he's better in this better covenant, though we want to accept something else. This is what is true. And so I love that. That's great. Thanks for saying that. That's, that's massive. And so he, he builds on it by saying, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised saying, yet once more, I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word yet once more signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Let's stop here for a second, building on what you've just opened up. Uh, so he's saying, so back then, it, what God said, they wanted to plug their ears, but it shook the entire earth. It was scary. It even scared Moses. But now it's going to be even more intense. He's shaking the entire universe that those things which are shaken might, what does it say? Signifying removed. It might be removed. Those things will be gone. This is an intense shaking, meaning you need to listen because there's consequences and just plugging your ears doesn't get these consequences to go away. It's going to be intense. Uh, what do you want to say about that before we move on to 28? Yeah. When he speaks, um, I almost envision at the new heaven, new earth. When he, when, when that's all done, I'm, I mean, the revelation says a sword's going to come out. Obviously, we're not going to get into all the eschatology. We know when God speaks, things happen, and that's going to be all destroyed. And he says, those things which cannot be shaken, they're going to remain. Uh, hallelujah, if you're saved, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. ain't going to be consumed. Uh, oh, and that's even what the end of the chapter says. He's a consuming fire. Uh, but those will remain wherefore. There it is, verse twenty-eight. We re, we receive in a kingdom which cannot be moved. That's mm. gonna what. That's the thing that's gonna remain. So as we go full circle, you're enduring a lot of things, but be like those who had faith. <laughs> Don't look on the temporal because eventually all of that is gonna be removed. It's gone. But yeah. you are gonna receive a kingdom that cannot be moved. That's beautiful, and I think again it brings us back to Esau and Jesus. Esau chose things that could be, you know, lost. He ate that meal and the next day it was gone. It was, it was done. It was useless. And yet he refused the thing that could not be moved, which was the blessing. And that's what Jacob had forever. He's still mentioned in the hall of faith. And, and so for them, he's saying, guys, don't plug your ears against God and try to do things your own way. Cause when you do things, when you do things your own way and, and neglect or reject the word of God, which will stand forever, you are choosing things that will perish, that will be destroyed. But instead, if you're a believer, you have something that cannot be removed. There's still supposed to be that, I guess, that, that reverential fear here, but you have something that cannot be moved. And because of that, have grace. Don't come short of the grace. Have the grace. And in the grace or having this grace, you serve God. This is whereby. So it's by this grace, we are able to serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. And I think that's a beautiful tie back up to what we were looking up here. I don't even think I have it highlighted anymore. But when we were looking at uh, failing of the grace of God and all of those things, I think this is that beautiful conclusion saying, guys, look unto Jesus, keep your eye on him. And that grace will allow you to live that peaceable and holy and acceptable life but we do it with reverence and godly fear. Why? For our God is a consuming fire. How much differently would Christians' lives look if we lived with reverence and godly fear, knowing how intense God's presence is? Hmm. I mean, I was reading 1 Peter 1, and it shook me to my core. Because he talks about if you're going to talk to God, you need to make sure you live holy as he is holy because he's not a respecter of persons. And you, you should read it for yourself. But I mean, it's right here. It's kind of echoing the same sentiment. Guys, we have a beautiful thing that cannot be moved. We have a kingdom that's coming. It's the hope. And we have faith. That's that hope made now. It's, it makes the hope a substance. But he says, friends, live in grace. And in that grace, serve God accept, uh, acceptably with reverence and fear because God's consuming. He will shake the things that can be shaken and remove them, that that which cannot be shaken may remain. And so I think, I think the conclusion is, is be like Jesus, not like Esau. Esau chose the things that could be shaken. Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the hardship. And so what, what, what do you think we should add to, to close this off 
today. Any any thoughts before we close this thing off? Yeah, I, I don't know. I can't speak for any other country, but I know what American Christianity looks like. Yeah. And I know verse 28, we, like you said, ignore it. But it's a very interesting thing where it says, let us have grace whereby we may serve God and that adverb there, acceptably. Yeah. Well, we see so many churches that say we can serve God, we can worship God, we can praise God, we can do whatever we want in any way, and it'll be God will be happy with it, whatever yeah. we give Him. No, there's a right way. We we can uh, serve God unacceptably, um, and so it's yeah. so important that we realize God is a consuming fire. So we got to figure out how does God want to be served? Because yeah. there is an acceptable way, and there's an unacceptable way. And it says with fervence and godly fear. So that it gives us a hint right, right there. But there's so many other places in the Bible where it does show where how we ought to serve. This is one thing, and I'm going to encourage all who are listening to make sure as we do serve God, we do it with reverence and godly fear. And our churches should be the same. I I, yeah. I don't believe that our churches should be uh drab or dry or dusty. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, but I do believe that when you come into church, you should have reverence and godly fear, but not just in church. I think it should be all throughout our life, but especially when we come together, there should be reverence and godly fear. And you say, ah, that's old. That's old stuff. Okay. You can call me an old soul or whatever you want to say. I just believe that's the way it should be done. And I believe we're going to see a big repercussion from churches going hyper casual with no reverence and no godly fear. I'm not saying that you are a wicked person if you are like this. I'm just saying I think we're going to see a repercussion because what we're seeing right now is a lot of, I guess you could say Protestants. We wouldn't identify as Protestants, and that could be another conversation if you have questions on that. But mm -hmm. I'll just say Protestantism or evangelicalism, whatever you want to say. We're seeing, I think we're going to see a lot of people begin leaving these types of churches for something much more structured, Judaism, Catholicism. Because they have seen the, the lack of reverence and godly fear in modern day Christianity. And they're wanting something that shows them how majestic and glorious God truly is. And so friend, please, 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 when selecting a new church, make sure you select a church that when you come in there, you know they take this seriously. That's one of the things of being a, a preacher or a deacon is grave. You take it seriously. And there's this reverence and godly fear. May we not just be all about, well, this was fun. I had a blast at church. That's awesome if you enjoy church, but that's not the goal. That's not the goal. And so thanks for bringing that up, John. I do think this is a struggle in American Christianity. I don't think, I don't think it's going to make us popular. Someone's probably going to get mad about us talking about it, but I think God deserves our reverence and godly fear. And so we will say it boldly. If you hit that unsubscribe button, that's okay. I'm not going to cry tonight if you do. Uh, but I want to be, I want to be true to the word and I want, I want you to be true to the word. If you're listening to this, I want to exhort you. I want to exhort you, friend, this is serious. And our God is very, very serious about us living acceptably. And so John, anything else before we wrap it up? We didn't get any questions today, which is, I know we had a weird time today when we went live, yeah. but uh, any, anything you want to say to wrap it up? I think uh, well, that's a good conclusion, a very sombering conclusion, but a good yeah. conclusion. All right. So friends, we've seen it here. Be like Christ. Endure the hardships. Why? Because there's a beautiful joy set before you. Don't be like Esau and forsake the beautiful future that God has for current things that will one day pass away. And so friend, thanks for being with us, but I hope you'll have a blessed day. Stay encouraged in the Lord and we'll talk with you, Lord willing, next Friday.